You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Romans chapter 12 this morning. Uh, I want to begin reading in verse number 1, and I want to read down to verse number 4. Romans chapter 12, chapter uh, 12, verses 1 through 4. Uh, The Bible says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me. Now this will be our text verse this morning that we'll get back to in just a moment. But this will be our text verse. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you. So it's speaking to all of us. And I want you to think about what this means. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Then let's read verse 4 as well. For as we have uh, many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. In all of the New Testament letters, at the end of the letter, it always concludes with a practical section. In other words, what I often call shoe leather Christianity, amen? I mean, uh, how how these doctrines that we've been learning apply to our lives. Because it's not just about learning about what the Bible says and about who God is. But one of the great things is, is how this applies to our life. The practical duties uh, uh, of the doctrine. See, the Christian life... In the Christian life, doctrine and duty always go together. What we believe determines how we behave. What we believe determines how we behave. And so what we learn uh, has to do with our living. See, it's not enough for us to understand doctrinal explanations. Uh, We must translate our learning into living and show by our daily lives that we trust the Word of God. Aren't you glad God's Word makes an impact in your life? And in this section, it, this section of Romans beginning talks about relationships. The first relationships, it talks about our relationship to God. How many of you are glad that you got a relationship with God this morning? Amen. Amen. Uh, at one time, I knew God about like I know the President of the United States of America. Uh, in other words, if someone would ask me, do you know God? I'd say, of course I know God. Do you know? Of course I know who He is. Uh, But I'm glad, folks, that it's not in a way that I just know of Him. I am glad that I know Him today. Praise the Lord. I know Him and He knows me. I've got a relationship with God. And so, as as a Christian, with our relationship with God, uh, our dedication to Him involves three steps. Now, I preached this several weeks ago, so I'm I'm just going to give it to you quickly. Uh, The Bible says, number one, that we need to surrender our bodies to Him. We once allowed our bodies to be used for sinful purposes or just whatever whim we may have had. But as God's people, in this relationship we have with the Lord, He wants us to say, okay, Lord, now I give you my hands. I will do with them as you please. I give you my feet. I give you my body. I will go where you want me to go. I will say what you would have me to say. Lord, I surrender my body to you. Now, 
That is not salvation. Salvation is trusting Him uh, by grace through faith. But once we are saved by God's grace, we surrender our body. Number two, we learn to sanctify our mind. We learn to sanctify our mind. The Bible says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, we live in a world that tries to conform your thinking. But God says, I want to transform your thinking. I want to metamorphosize, amen? I want to transform your thinking in such a way that your life will not be recognizable because it, the, the Spirit of God's going to work through your life in such a way. So surrender your body, sanctify your mind, and then lastly, give Him your will. The Bible says that you may prove what is that perfect and acceptable will of God. Uh, listen, God has put every one of you on this earth for a reason. He has a will and a purpose for your life. You are no accident at all. Amen. Uh, You were brought into this earth by God. And I'm telling you, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. You may say, well, up to this point, I can't imagine that being true in my life. Well, I'm telling you today, it is true in your life. And I'm telling you, God's got a plan for you. So uh, that has to do with our relationship to God. But getting into verse 3, really down through uh, verse 14, if not the rest of the chapter, the Bible begins to deal with our relationship with It's called re- relational theology, if, if you will. It has to do with our relationship one with another. See, on, on a regular basis, I emphasize this on a very regular basis, that salvation is not about religion, but about what? Relationship. relationship. I've already said it a few times. I've said that word a lot this morning. Uh, but it's not about religion. It's about a relationship. And, and I know, in a sense, I can accept the fact and acknowledge the fact that I would be considered a religious person. But what I mean in that religious sense is that for a lot of people, religion, I think of it as man's efforts to get to God. Often man-made efforts to get to God. And that's what many uh, so-called churches consist of. And many churches profit off of some of these ways, supposedly, in their, their religion to get to God. But folks, the great, great news is that the biblical message, the gospel, is good news. And the good news is, is that we don't have to try to find a way to God. Hallelujah. He made a way to us. Amen. Uh, There's an old song that says, He came to me. Jesus said, I come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so it's it's about a relationship. But it's not just about a growing relationship with Christ. It's also about a growing relationship with one another in a church. It's about a growing relationship one with another in the local church. If we have the right relationship with God, we will have a right relationship to the people who are a part of our lives in the church. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verses 11-12, through 12, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time, If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and His love is perfected in us. Somebody says, well, I don't need the church uh, to get to heaven. And that's very true. I think I mentioned it last week. You don't need a, you don't need a boat or a plane to go to Hawaii either. Uh, but it's a lot easier going. Amen. Uh, listen, I mean, uh, God has, not only has He saved us and set us aside, but if you're a child of God, He wants you to be a part of a New Testament church. You see it throughout the New Testament. That's what He teaches. 
And uh, yes, everybody who is saved is a part of Christ, but I'm telling you the emphasis, uh, nine out of ten times when the word church is used in the New Testament, not some nine out of ten times it is referring to a church like this one. In other words, a group of people with a pastor, with a missions program, with uh, regular meet, regular scheduled meetings. Uh, you'll see even in, in, in the book of Acts when a new ministry is being launched out and, they're, and, and they need Paul and Silas or they need someone to go. They go to the local church and they said, okay, you guys go with the blessing of this church and go do this ministry. You'll see that repeated throughout uh, the Bible. And, and isn't it a wonderful thing? I don't know about you, but I love the church, don't you? And the Bible says Jesus loved the church and gave Himself for it. And, uh, and I don't know, but I can remember when I first walked into a church after I got saved by God's grace, the people that became my family, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, of course, I still have and thank the Lord for my physical family, but my family grew. And it was, just, it was just such a blessing, the people that seemed to care about me, the people that would pray for me, the people that accepted me just as I was. Uh, I often think, you know, uh, what I would, you know, looking back, the kind of, uh, I was just a teenager, but I was into drugs and just kind of wild and different. And I can imagine what I must have looked like walking into that church uh, that first day and some of those first days. And I'm glad those people loved me and accepted me just like that. Amen? And helped me and cared about me and tried to encourage me. And what a blessing that was. And, and we hear it oftentimes right here. I thank God for this group of people that we have right here at Elk Point Baptist Church. I mean, but the Elk Point Baptist Church, folks, it's you. Amen? And, and it's one of the reasons I can recommend. I don't have, has anybody ever been a part of a church that you were hesitant to invite people to? Or you'd have some reservations of some sort? You know, there's a lot of people that are a, a part of a church like that, whether it's that they're scared the preacher will get up there and say something, you know, that's off, you know, way off or something, or you know that the people are going to be rude and clicky and all that. I'm glad this church isn't that way. The preacher needs prayers and work. Uh, but the people are great. And one of the great things that I can say when I invite people to this church is that we've got a good group of people down there that love the Lord. Uh, and so, uh, so what he begins to deal with here is our relationship one to another. And, and we'll deal with more with that part later. But our relationship with other people. And so beginning in verse number 3, in our relationship to other believers, there's three things that he gives in this remaining part of the chapter. In verse 3, he says we need to have an honest evaluation. Verses 4 through 8, we need to have faithful cooperation. And then verses 9 through 16, there's loving uh, participation. I was going to say precipitation, uh, but we've had enough of that. All right. And so uh, Paul is writing to Christians who were members, again, of local churches in Rome. He described their relationship to each other in the terms of members of a body. And I know it's that sense, in the, in the greater sense it's that way, but this church is to function like a body. Uh, I'm not going to get much into this part of it today, uh, but, but when you start getting into verse 4, you'll see this more. That if you're here today and you're saved by God's grace, you have at least one spiritual gift. You have at least one spiritual gift. Which means this, you are part of the body. And when he goes on to describe the body in 1 Corinthians 12, he says not the whole body is an ear, not the entire body is an eye, not the whole body is a foot or a leg or whatever. And by the way, if you don't think there's humor in the Bible, you need to read it again. Amen. Uh, because there is humor in the Bible. Can you get the mental picture when Paul says the whole body is not an eye? 
Can you imagine Mike Kozowski walking around? That's not a regular looking person. He's like, that's not the way the body is. The body is a head and its arms and its legs and its fingers and its toes. And it's all these parts that work together. Uh, and, and, and the way we feel about our bodies, even the most insignificant pinky, if you smash that thing with a hammer, you don't say, well, who needs it anyway? How many of you had your appendix removed? How many of you thought, well, I don't need it. Who cares? I'll just go have it done. Well, no, you're just like, I just assume leave it. Amen. Uh, it matters to me. Uh, and so uh, the, the point of the matter is this. That's the way the church is. Every member has a function. You may not be somebody that's ever up here in front of everybody being seen. You may be someone that may not be recognized as doing a lot, but, the, but there's stuff that goes on behind the scenes around this church, amen? There's something that everyone can contribute, uh, both in and outside of this church. And so uh, that's part of the relationship, part of this thing. The basic idea is that each believer is a living part of Christ's body. And each one has a spiritual function to perform. Each believer has a gift or gifts to be used for the building up of the body and the perfecting of the other members of the body. In short, we belong to each other, we minister to each other, and we need each other. Uh, what are the essentials for spiritual ministry and growth in Christ? Number one is recognizing an honest evaluation. And, and I said all that to get to this first part of this uh, uh, relationship with other people. And really, it kind of has to do with the relationship to ourselves. And so over the next few minutes, I want to try to preach to you about this thought on an identity crisis. Identity crisis. Look with me again in verse number three. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Identity crisis. Folks, within our nation today, we hear a lot about identity in this day and age, don't we? It's used as a political tool to divide people into many groups, often victim groups, as many groups as possible. Uh, you know, there's, uh, but, but our country was founded on the biblical principles of unity and equality. Out of many become one. All men are created equal. Uh, as far as race is concerned, uh, do you know, you know how many races there are? The Bible teaches that there's one race. That's the human race. Amen. Therefore, we're all endowed with our Creator with certain inalienable rights. We are created equal in the eyes of God. These are biblical principles, but today they want to divide us up into every little thing that they can today. And I'm telling you, that, that division is exactly what that is, is it's dividing instead of unifying us under one common goal, which is uh, which should be the goal, all right? And so you hear a lot about that in identity. Of course, there's an identity crisis concerning sexuality in our day. Uh, there's uh, what's being now called gender dysphoria. And, uh, and I'm not going to uh, really go into these things, uh, but, but I'm, and I'm not here to argue about someone having the feelings that are attributed to this uh, gender dysphoria. But I believe that the biology, the, the biology, and I think the science is pretty clear. Really, the psychology is pretty clear. Uh, if they would be open, if, if the experts, uh, quote unquote, would be open to it. See, sadly, there's a lot of these people that are often being used again to advance an agenda. And they aren't getting the true sympathetic 
and psychological help that they need. And, uh, and again, that's a, another sad thing. So, but my message isn't to really address the identity politics of our country. And it's really not to address the sexual identity uh, problems that we're facing within our country and in our culture as well. However, I believe that the principles that are found in these verses can help with all of that. Because if we can identify properly who we are in Christ, number one, if you know Christ... Uh, and then if you can identify who you are in Christ, it'll make a difference. Amen? And I'm telling you, what this world needs, I don't, I don't care left, right. I don't care what people may think they are or anything else. You want to know something? Everybody needs the Lord. Amen? And everybody needs to know the love of Christ. Amen? And so what do we do? We speak the truth. In love. Amen? I mean, we, we speak the truth, but we do it while we care about people because one of the things that we don't ever want to do is to win a debate and lose the person. We are not out, we should never be out to try to win an argument. We need to be trying to win that person that we're talking to. And so think about that when you're having a conversation with someone. Um, and, uh, and, and so uh, I, I digress from that to say this identity crisis. Uh, one of the ways that we can uh, be help thwart it and fix this identity crisis is to have an honest evaluation. Number one, declaring our identity. Who is it that determines our identity? I want to say this: it is our Creator. Our Creator determines our identity. We just need to declare and accept our identity. See, we need to have a proper estimation, a proper appraisal, a proper value upon ourselves. So we are going to look at self for a little bit this morning, but we need to have a healthy relationship with the idea of ourselves so that we can have the right relationship with God, so that we can have the right relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ as well as those in this world. There is a standard for your value, for your identity, for who you are. And I want to tell you today, that standard is not your feelings and it's not our emotions. It's, it's, not, it's not in our accomplishments that we get our identity today. But folks, our position in Christ determines our performance. Not the other way around. So who we are in Christ isn't based on how awesome of a Christian you've been lately. If you're saved by God's grace, God said positionally, this is who you are in Christ. And I'll, I'll share some of those with you in just a moment. But this is who you are in Christ. Therefore, we just need to live out who He says we are. He's already determined our identity. We just need to learn to declare our identity. Think about this, for instance. In order to come to Christ in the first place, in order to be saved by the grace of God, we had to come to God and admit some things. We had to admit that we were bankrupt sinners, if you will. Amen? In other words, you don't come to God and say, Lord, yeah, I'm good enough, but sure, I'll add you to, uh, to, to the shelf, you know. I'll add you to the collection. No, in order to truly be saved, you don't come to God and say, you know, I've been baptized and, and I'm filling the blank church. I'm Lutheran, I'm Catholic, I'm Baptist, I'm Methodist, I'm whatever else I may be. And you know what, but sure, I'll, I'll add you to that, Jesus. No, the way we come to Christ is by coming and recognizing that it's only through what Jesus did for us on the cross of Christ that brings us to salvation. 
not our works. And so that's how we must come to Christ. We come to Christ when we recognize who we are, a hell-deserving sinner. But that's not the end of the story. Because we come to Christ when we realize how much He values us. Amen. Amen. Uh, many of you have seen it, you know, it's a little uh, cliche and it may be a little bit cheesy, but uh, somebody said that they, that they looked to the Lord Jesus Christ and they said, ask Jesus, how much do you love me, Lord? And the Bible says he stretched out his hands and says this much. And he stretched out his hands and died. Amen. So, th- so in other words, I saw the condition I was in. I saw that I was a sinner, but I tell you, I saw something else. I saw a God in heaven that loved me a lot. I saw a Savior that thought that my soul was worth shedding His life's blood for. Dying on an old rugged cross and rising again the third day. That's Right? Amen? Uh, Do you remember recognizing that? I'm a sinner. My good works can't save me. But hallelujah! That's why Jesus came. What a glorious day! And so that's what we must do in order to be saved. But now in order to effectively serve the Lord, we have to remember this. That today as I stand before you, my old nature is still the same old sinner I was back then. Right? As far as who I am in and of myself. But, But the good news is this. That I'm not what I used to be because the change that God has wrought on the inside of me. And so... Really, it's not that I am in and of myself all of a sudden now. Now I'm this great, awesome Christian person and, and maybe even better than the average Christian. After all, I'm a pastor now. So I'm on a whole different level. I'm on a whole different plane. No, that's not the way it is. You know who I am? I'm just an old sinner up here saved by the grace of God. I'm just somebody that Jesus rescued from the pit. I'm the same sinner that in and of myself, as far as humanly concerned, there's no value, but He places a great value upon me. And so it's recognizing, not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. See, God's Word is our mirror. So let me ask you this today. What is your identity? Who are you today? Who are you today? Now, what we've got to ask ourselves is, it kind of depends on the mirror that you're looking into. See, what we need to understand is that God and His Word needs to be our mirror. God and His Word needs to be our mirror. Only your Maker's mirror matters. (laughs) Only your Maker's mirror matters. See, we cannot allow... Words from our past to be the mirror. You know, you know it's funny. I've heard about this with uh, people uh, with anorexia. That no matter what, they look in the mirror and no matter how skinny or thin they may be, they still see someone that's fat when they look into the mirror. That's a sad thing, isn't it? By the way, if you know anybody with that, that kind of condition, man, they need to get some help. Uh, but that's how many people are. Many people today, you still, you look in the, the mirror, and when you look in the mirror, you're not seeing the right thing. You don't see your identity very clear. And in order to effectively serve the Lord, we need to understand our identity. Now, so whose mirror matters? It's not your emotions. It's not your feelings that determine who you are. I've already said that. But I'll say this also. It's not this world that determines who you are. 
Amen. It's God's Word. It's His mirror. It's His standard. Now I want to say clearly, there are some things when we talk about identity, a lot of times we think about identity, we think about who we are by our appearance. Now, there's very little that we can do about uh, our appearance, right? I mean, there's some things that we can do about uh, our appearance superficially, uh, but I can't get any taller. You know, I mean, uh, I, I can't, you know, I can, put, I can get the little risers put in my shoes. Any of you short guys ever done that? Uh, but, but you know what? Uh, I, I'm not doing that. You know what? I'm looking and I'm saying, you know what? I'm, let me tell you something about you. It's sad that we live in a culture to where people, people say, this is what a beautiful woman looks like. This Barbie doll. Well, listen, who, that's not the standard to go by, amen? amen? The standard to go by is the Word of God. And the Bible says in, in Psalm 139, go read Psalm 139. Go get familiar with Psalm 139. God made you the way you are. Amen? And uh, yes, there's things that we can do to try to take care of ourselves and to keep ourselves well and so forth. Uh, but as far as uh, some of these, we just need to understand and say, you know what? This is who God made me. I don't need to bear and use some other uh, standard. I need to use God's standard. This world tries to put a standard out there for you. So there's that side of it. But I've got an even deeper side than that. Because that's pretty superficial, uh, even though it can matter. But I think if we get a grasp on that which is spiritual and that with more depth, it can help us with our attitude toward the superficial. And that is this. God's Word is our mirror, okay? So what does God's Word declare about my identity? I, I want to give these a uh, couple of these to you quickly. I've got a lot that the Bible says about our identity. But did you know the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, uh, your identity, you're a new creature. You're a new creation, amen? You're not what you used to be. And not only that, but the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that you're a masterpiece. <laughs> you're a masterpiece. You said, oh no, I, I'm broken today. Uh, you know, and, and I, I, I can't wait. So many of you don't uh, know, many of you may remember a message I preached about a masterpiece uh, uh, maybe a year or two ago, and, but, but I was preaching about the, the ancient Japanese art of Kenjutsui. I just totally made that word up. I think that's the right word, but but but, but it's the art of t taking broken pottery or or plates or glasses or whatever and putting them back together. So beautiful. We'll have them up on the screen here uh, eventually to show you some of these things. Uh, but but that's kind of but but here's the thing: they put it back together, but they don't use like you know invisible super glue or something, and they don't try to hide the cracks. And, and, and the, what they do is they put it together with gold. And so all the brokenness actually, and honestly, here's the thing about it. When you go look at that art, I encourage you to look it up when I'm done preaching. Um, but uh, the more broken the plate, the more broken the pottery, the more beautiful the piece. Amen. And so they're not trying to hide the cracks. There's not, they're not trying to hide where it's broken, but it just gives glory to the one that put it back together again. Amen. So we're God's masterpieces. Amen. Uh, the Bible says that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. For John 1.12 says that I'm a child of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says that you're chosen. It says you're royal. You're chosen. You're royal. You're holy. John 15, 15 says that Jesus is my friend. Uh, 2 Timothy 1, 7 says that I have the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Romans 18, 17 says I'm an heir and a joint heir with Christ. 
Uh, Philippians 4.13 tells me I can do all things through Christ. 1 John 4.4 tells me that I'm an overcomer. Philippians 3.20 says I'm a citizen of heaven. Romans 12.2 says that we are transformers. Romans 5.1 says we're justified by faith. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says we're God's temple. Romans 8.37 says we're more than conquerors. Uh, I, I mentioned what Psalm 139. It says that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1.2 says I'm sanctified in Christ. 1 Thessalonians says that I'm a child of light. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says I'm an ambassador for Christ. 1 Peter 1.23 says I'm born again. Ephesians 2.5 says I'm alive. 2 Peter 2.11 says I'm a pilgrim and a stranger. What I'm trying to tell you is that when, when you get into God's Word, you realize who you are in and of yourself. Yes, that's a sinner. But the value that God puts upon us and the change that He makes in our life, man, I'm identified how? As a conqueror. As chosen. As someone who matters. Because everyone matters and every one of you matter. And I'm telling you, God uh, has a plan and a purpose for you. So with that, we see uh, declaring our identity. I want to try to give you these uh, last two quickly here. Declaring our identity. But not only declaring our identity, but also, uh, but also deterring insanity. Deterring our insanity. You say, what are you talking about insanity? Uh, the Bible says there in verse 3 once again, For I say through the grace given unto me uh, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man a measure of faith. There's a Greek word that's used four times in verse number three, and it's phronio. And it's used when it talks about that a man think more highly, that is hooperphronio, which is superphronio or super thinking. In other words, thinking more of yourself than you ought to think. But then when it talks about being soberly, that word was literally used in ancient times to denote someone that is sane. That is sane. That is in their right mind. So the word sober there carries the idea of not being insane. Of being sane. See, in ourselves, uh, in ourselves uh, we may be nothing. But the person who accepts this can be, become something for God. See, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.29 that no flesh should glory in His presence. In other words, it needs to be all about Him. We see our calling when it comes to this. In other words, by grace. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. As a matter of fact, in verse 3 of Romans 12, he says, I say through the grace. In other words... When we look at ourselves, one of the things that can help us stay in the right mind is if we realize that we have a calling of God on our lives. See, the challenge of this verse is this. The Bible says that a man ought not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. You know what that verse says? It says we ought to think highly of ourselves in Christ. But we just don't need to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. 
In other words, uh, notice what Paul, Paul, he says, he says, he says, I am what I am by the grace of God. Paul says, I'm an apostle of God. I've been gifted of God. I've been called with a particular purpose. But you know what else he says? He says that I'm the chiefest of sinners. See, so there needs to be a balance there. You know, we don't need to think more highly of ourselves. We don't need to think, oh, I'm the greatest. I'm the best. I'm the one that deserves all the praise, the glory, and the attention. Nobody's quite like me. That's thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. But I'm telling you what, that's pride. But there's another side to this pride. There's another pride and there's another robbery of God, if you will, that takes place. When God, just imagine God gifting Paul to be an apostle. Giving him this great wisdom, this great power. But Paul sits way back in the back somewhere and just always sits there and says, Oh no, I'm really nothing. Oh man, you're a blessing, Paul. You're an apostle. You... No, no, no. See, false humility is wrong also. Amen. We need to accept. See, understanding our identity, a part of that is understanding that without Him we can do nothing. Without Christ, we can do nothing. But in Him, we matter. And our gifts matter. And we don't need to be ashamed. See, people almost act ashamed when God has gifted them. We need to exercise the gifts that God has given us. And not use some kind of false humility about it. So there's a calling. There's also a comfort. It's a blessing. But I want to say this about the calling. Uh, Galatians 6.14 But God forbid that I should glory... Saving the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. That word glory there means to boast. And he's saying, God forbid that I should boast or brag in myself, but I'm going to brag on Jesus. Amen. I'm going to brag on Him. I'm going to serve Him. I'm going to do what He's called me to do. See, it can be, it, we, we can feel really humble when we say, oh, I'm not gifted and I can't do this and oh no. No, listen, that's not it. We just say, we do what God called us to do. And when people come and say, wow, that's a blessing. Preacher, that message this morning, it may not be said today, but on another day, that message this morning was such a blessing. And then, uh, you know what I say? I don't say, oh, shucks, oh, no, that ain't. You know what I say? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And when people say, preacher, that wasn't hitting on a whole lot today, I just got to say, my bad. Amen. That was me probably. Uh, But listen, but if it's God working and moving, I'm telling you, it's God. Amen. And so, because I I can recognize something. I know that anything that God is doing through me, it's God doing it through me. So it, it doesn't, it's, it's not me getting any glory. It's God getting the glory. Amen. It's me accepting the gifts that he's given me and saying, praise the Lord, because it sure ain't me. Amen. And I know that's not proper English, but that's part of the point. Um, all right. So there's the calling quick, quickly. There's the comfort. The Bible says in Philippians 2, 13, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. See, this is talking about having a healthy self-image. There's a lot of people that struggle with that, both physically and spiritually speaking. What is your identity? Identify who you are in Christ. Accept who you are in Christ. Accept who you are in this world. Having a healthy self-image, seeing myself for who I am in Christ, 
accepting the person that He made me, the unchangeable qualities and so forth. Uh, listen, there's got to be a balance between the extremes of I'm worthless or I don't need God. Amen? Some people can act superior toward others uh, and exclude other people, but we need to have a balance. But I want to close with this thought, the confidence the confidence of this identity. So we see the calling of our identity. Uh, we see the comfort of our identity. Then lastly, the confidence of our identity. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. <laughs> I heard the other day about arrogance. Arrogance is a sickness. Arrogance is a disease that only makes the people not infected with it sick. So in other words, you're around an arrogant person, that arrogant person, they seem fine, but everybody else around them is like, Ugh. right? That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, illustrating, I made it better, amen? When I can't use my words, alright? But, uh, but here's, here's what he says. He says, uh, he says here, For if a man thinketh himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. See, somebody can look at me today and say, Preacher, I don't think you're doing, I don't think you're the person you should be. I don't think you're doing what God's called you to do. I think you've missed this whole thing. And you know what I can say? I can say, I can, here the confidence part. I can say this. Well, I'll tell you right now, I am not the person that I want to be. But the confidence that I have is that there's a God in heaven that's accepted me and that's working on me. Any, any finished products in here? Amen. You're, there's not one up here either. But God's working on me. And I'm okay. That's fine. He said, well, I think you ought to be further along. But you know what I say to that? Well, pray for me. Because me and God are okay with this thing. Seriously. That's what he's saying here. I don't have to try to please somebody else. He says, but let every man prove his own work, and then he shall rejoice in himself alone and not in another. Uh, there, there, this is said again in, in the book of 1 John. I was thinking about just preaching a whole message on this topic uh, today. But 1 John 4.17 says this, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so are we in this world. Listen to this, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. There's a lot of Christians that live in fear and torment. Spiritually speaking. And they base too much of their spirituality on others. That mirror. They let others be the mirror. Well man, I'm not doing good as old Dan's doing. Maybe I'm just not living up. These other church people haven't figured out. I don't. I guess I'm just not cut out for this. No, no. You're looking at the wrong mirror. Look at God's mirror. And God says this. No, no, no. I'm working on you. And as God, long as He's still working on me, I don't have to use other people. I'm using what God's doing in my life. And I can have boldness. I can have boldness. I can have confidence. But there's too many Christians, and I will preach more about that at a later date, because God does not want us to have fear and torment in our lives. So, uh, de determining our enablements is the last one as we all stand. And I'll get into this because this goes more into verse number 4. But... Our enablements. In other words, the, the, where this is driving to is this. We need to learn to recognize our identity. And it will help us to recognize our enablements. In other words, our spiritual gifts. 
I read it's an interesting thing. I grew up, uh, I was born in the 70s, grew up in the 80s and 90s and uh, 2020s. Um, but in the 70s, uh, there, it, was a, it was a decade of me-ism. And some of you may be old enough to remember when this became more of a thing. It was just a thing when I was born. Meisms uh, dominated the, the meism dominated by hyphenated words beginning with self that we're all familiar with today. And I'm telling you, there is some validity to these. But I'm telling you, when they go to the extreme, they go to something that's very much a part of our culture and educational system, and that is humanism. Self-image, self-esteem, self-assertion, right? Uh, and, and this, of course, led to uh, many things from through the 70s and 80s because it became all about me. We need to have a proper estimation of ourselves. Who we are in Him is what really matters. The mirror, God's Word, what He says. What is your identity this morning? You say, well, I'm, I'm here and I'm, I'm a Christian and I feel like a failure. You're looking in the wrong mirror. You're looking in the wrong mirror. You may have failed. You may have failed many times. But you're never a failure till you quit. And you're here this morning, so you haven't quit. There's still a chance, amen? God's working on you. Let Him do it, amen? It's not comparing ourselves to other people. It's just going to God and saying, okay, Lord, here am I. Just take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. You use it. Hey, we're growing. We're, we're, the Bible says we bear fruit, people. We don't manufacture. We bear fruit. Some fruit grows at better rates than others, does it not? Even, in the, even, some, even on the same tree. But if we're plugged in, man, just let, let just grow. Maybe you're here today and there's something you need to... You, you, maybe you struggle with the identity. Maybe from the moment I said it, you struggle with this. I said that we're all sinners. We're all sinners. You know what? That's, some, that's something with your identity you need to get before you can be saved. You need to be able to admit and confess, I am a sinner. I have sinned. The Bible says all of sin and comes short of the glory of God. You need to recognize that. But you also need to recognize how much the Lord loves you. How much He values you. You know, sometimes people talk about what something's worth. You know, if you deal in some kind of collectibles or things like that, you know, to where it's not just going to the store. It's uh, things are worth what people are willing to pay for it, right? That's what something's worth, what somebody's willing to pay for it. How much are you worth? If God Almighty was willing to give His only begotten Son, if Jesus was willing to shed His life's blood for you, how much are you worth? That's how much His love. That's His love and His grace and His mercy. But you've got to recognize first that you're a sinner and you need His love. You need His grace. You need His forgiveness. Child of God, I hope you can take something out of these words today to help you. I hope you can get into the Word of God and establish your identity, who you are in Christ. This growing relationship. And what that's going to help us do, it's going to help us with our relationship with God, our relationship with the church, and our relationship with the lost and dying world. Let's pray, why don't we? Heavenly Father, I thank You so much for the glorious privilege to be here. I thank You, dear God, that You do love us and accept us. God, You love us just like we are. God, but You love us too much to leave us that way. God, I pray for those struggling with their identity.
And Lord, we said it, got it all and said. Understanding our identity in Christ will help these other things. If we understand our identity in Christ, we're not worried about black and white and male and female and poor and rich. And Lord, we see each other for who we are. God, for those that are even struggling with their sexuality, God, number one, seeing seeing their need of You, and if they are saved, dear Lord, just seeing their identity in You. God, You can strengthen them. You can help them. And I'm glad that You will, dear Lord.